This is Rough Drafts Welcome, the podcast where you can mess up, and we can too. I'm Sachiko. And I'm Erin. And together with the editors at Salt and Sage Books, we're changing the face of storytelling one rough draft at a time. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi, Sachiko. How are you? Hey, (laughs) Erin. It's a good day. It's a nice, sunny day. It's sunny here too. It's sunny here too. Okay, so for our very first episode, I know part of what we wanted to talk about, we're going to talk about names and why naming your characters is so important and why names matter and all of that. But before we dive into all of that, we wanted to introduce all of you listeners and viewers to who we both are, what Salt and Sage Books is, basically what you can expect out of the podcast. So do you want to go first, Satch? Yeah, so we named this podcast Rough Drafts Welcome because... We want to lower the barrier that a lot of people seem to feel towards getting feedback on diversity and inclusion and representation. It can become a really scary subject, but it doesn't have to be. It can be really fun and welcoming and a great way for us to support each other, storytellers. For sure. So much of what we've noticed as like through the administrative end of Salt and Sage books is that a lot of the people who they want a sensitivity read. They want to have editors of color working through their manuscripts. Like they understand how important it is to include good representation, but then also to have a variety of people looking at their manuscript throughout the process or not just manuscripts but like their games, their video games, their comic books, their graphic novels, their podcasts, you know, a variety of things. They understand that that's important and they really do. They feel like it's important. But the barrier, the first barrier that people seem to bump up against is that they feel really afraid. So that's, I mean, our first goal is always to like, we want you to know more about Salt and Sage because we think it's awesome. We also really like each other. We like talking (laughs) and we have such good conversations. So I'm happy that we're recording them because I love being able to go back and like reread the stuff that we've talked about. I feel like I learn stuff every time. So I'm excited to have that like in an audio format. But the other end of it is that we really want to help Um, just creatives of all stripes. I mean, specifically authors is who we're going to be talking to the most, but just to help, just like you were saying, I guess, to lower the threshold of entry, to like explain why, like we get why you're afraid. And we'll talk more about the reasons behind that, I'm sure. But like, we think that you don't need to be afraid necessarily. And so we're hoping to make it just feel more, you can do it. Like, it's okay to come in with something that's very much a rough draft. You don't have to have it perfect in order to come and get help from a sensitivity reader or from an editor. Right. And if you want to feel afraid, you sure can. We will sit with you and be your friend. Mm-hmm. You can be a rough draft of a person. We sure are. We're always learning and changing and, and improving. And this podcast, we we intentionally started this podcast a little rough. We want you to know that you can arrive unpolished and we can still have a great time learning together. Yes. And that's important to note for the podcast too. So much of our, when we were talking about like the concept of it and what we wanted to do, this idea of being able to show up imperfectly and to Mm -hmm. have that be good enough, like that's, that is the best place to start is right where you are. That we're actually not going to do hardly any editing on this, you know, like unless a child comes in screaming, which I suppose is an (laughs) option for both of us. We both have kids. But unless something like that happens, we're not going to edit this podcast very much. What you're hearing is us processing things in real time 
and us really trying to just basically kind of let you sit in with us as we try to figure out like what's the best way to approach things how do we make this more accessible how do we how do we address our our own like internalized racism and our own internalized ableism and things along those lines we're gonna have i'm excited we're gonna have a lot of really good conversations we sure are so i think maybe let's say a little bit who we are so i'm aaron my name is aaron olds um, I am the CEO of Salt and Sage Books. I founded it. Sachiko was like my brain the entire time that that was happening. Um, so I feel like we founded it, even though I know that like technically, like if you look at the legal documents, it says Aaron, and I'm like and Sachiko on that because <laughs> I mean really though, like you were my sounding board through the entire process. Um, okay, what else do you need to know about me? I live in the Seattle area. I have two kids. I homeschool. We unschool is our personal flavor of homeschooling. Um, and we're not super on the far end of that, but you know, we're, we're kind of in the middle. And let's see, I am married, I am queer, um, I am a Taurus, and in human design, I'm a manifester. And I think, oh, I'm an author. I should probably talk about that. I'm also an author. I have a pen name that I will probably never tell you the name of that um, I publish. Uh, what do I publish? You've read Secret them. nom de plume. Secret, my, my private nom de plume. Um, I write urban fantasy. Good grief. That's the word I was looking for. And then I have an agent and I write uh, middle grade with her and I love her. She's marvelous. And I'm currently in the doldrums of being on submission. And it's just, I try not to think about it too much because it's just so much waiting. You just have to hurry up and wait. So I'm trying to be patient and write other books. And we'll talk more about all of that later. I think that's pretty much my entire life. Am I missing anything? I have a cat. He's very cute. I love him so much. He is a superior specimen. Would you say publishing is almost like just a connected series of waiting rooms? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, absolutely. And then the people who finally do make it to like, okay, I've actually published. Even that is another set of waiting rooms where you're like, okay, but did it do well? Did it get good critical reception? What did Publishers Weekly think? Oh, did I get a good review? Did I not get a good review? Oh, someone did it on TikTok and like I have this random spike in sales that I can't explain, but like, yay. Or, oh my gosh, I've suddenly been flooded by negative reviews. And then the whole thing is all like you being like, well, did the publisher, did we make enough that the publisher is going to renew me again? Uh-huh. It's all like hurry up and wait, write the book super quickly. You have to learn to query quickly and then you have to have like all this tenacity and grit to get to the point where you actually have an agent. And, and you got to be so responsive and then you got to be fine with no nothing. response from anyone else. Nothing. Just like radio <laughs> silence. And you just have to be okay with that. And you have to be able to like be creative in that interim where nothing yeah. is happening and you don't know if things are going you have no idea how things are going. Like you just, you just don't know. And I can already tell like some people are going to comment on this and be like, you can always just ask your agent what's happening. That's, that's not what I mean. I mean like on the end of where you're out for submission and then you have to wait three weeks, six weeks, six months, nine months, a year and a half, whatever, because until you hear back from the publishers, until your agent hears back. And in that space, you just kind of have to exist. I am detecting a future episode of self-care through the publishing process. Oh, gosh. I can talk about that at length. Like, it sounds like self-management is, like, 
huge because it almost needs to be, you know, which is amazing because at Salt and Sage Books, we work so hard on trying to improve representation and publishing, but the whole process of publishing can feel really hard. You know, it's something I try to keep in mind when I'm doing a sensitivity read because people are in the middle of a long process. They don't want to feel like they are under examination by a yet another set of judges and gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it can get so exhausting just like on your own, your own mental resilience. Oh yeah. To be able to, I, I, I think especially cause so many authors are, we're just tender little things. Yeah. So many of us, I'm like, we know we have something to say. Mm-hmm. We have stories we want to tell, but we're not necessarily the kind who's going to go out there and you know, start a YouTube channel as, as we're doing exactly that. But like, we, like, it's, I, I think, I mean, and I know that's kind of a stereotype that authors are all like super introverted, but I mean, there are teeth to that. Like, there's a reason that so many of us really don't love the parts of writing that are like getting feedback that it's so painful or yeah, I mean, it's your work out there. It's so like, <laughs> it's hard. That perfectionism. Yeah. It's hard. Well, especially when, you know, a lot of writing you have to be sensitive enough to be able to see little truths in things mm-hmm. and tell things in a way where people can feel themselves there. And that kind of sensitivity is hard. It's hard to have that coexist with just that rhino skin you have to have to get yes. through all of these yes. processes where it feels like you're on trial as a person, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, it really does. Well, and so much of so much of what we write is like reflective of who we are as people. I yeah. think that there is definitely, um, I mean, we kind of joke that like everyone writes their, your first book is a self-insert novel. Always just like, go with it. Just accept it. That's okay. So let's define really quickly. Will you just explain what's a self-insert novel just real quick yeah. in case anyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. So self-insert y'all is your fantasy self. You know, if you, if you've ever thought, You know, if I could go back and live my life over again, here is what I would do. And I would be the hero and I would be strong and I would be smart. And a lot of people end up um, basing their first characters, especially a first person character in their first story. Mm -hmm. It's basically them. It's basically them inside the story world reacting to things. And that's fine. There are so many elements to storytelling. It's hard to even just get into the, the mode of knowing how to create that story world in words. So to take the shortcut of, well, the main character's me, so I'm just I'm just gonna read I'm just going to record whatever I would be wanting to do mm-hmm. or think, it's fine. It's great for a practice. Use it as training wheels. Some people never move on from a self-insert character, and other people enjoy that self-insert so much. There are entire series that make money based on that. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. We do not need any scorn here. It is just a thing that happens that we all do. It's like writer puberty. Yep, yep, yep. It's like the, I mean, there are a couple of stereotypes that everyone talks about, like don't start your book on, it was a dark and stormy night or whatever. But we all have the beginning of some story that begins, it was a dark and stormy night. We all have that. I feel like, like there's a, you can find a lot of people that are kind of shamey about it. Yeah. And I think that that is a shame because 
when you make people feel, or rather, I don't want to say make because people, you know, we can choose how we react to things and we have some amount of control over that. Hi, I'm in therapy. Um, <laughs> but but it, me too. like when people are shamey about that and they say like, oh, you should never start a novel, like with someone waking up and then like looking in the mirror and getting ready for the day. I, right. yeah, like, but that's a fine place to start a first draft. Because if you're getting into the story, especially if it's the first time you've ever written, or if you're writing a story that's hard for you to write, or that's deals with something that's really close to your heart, or if it's super high concept, I don't think there's any shame in leaning back on those things, especially like the more books that I've written, um, and I've written a ridiculous amount of drafts. She's a beast. Like she tracks her productivity on an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, it's I love my spreadsheets so much. <laughs> like the more the more books that I have written, the more that I have realized that there is a lot of value in just starting. Oh yeah. Because if you're trying to find the perfect place, it that's really hard. That can freeze you in front of your screen for hours, for days, for weeks mm. or months. You know, you can just like you can have this little kernel, but oh, I have to find the right place to start. I I think that you can erase that demand of yourself. And just start with one day this character woke up and she stood up and she looked at herself in the mirror and she had blue eyes and she saw how they sparkled in the morning sun, right? Whatever. But it's okay to start there. I don't, I wouldn't recommend that you end there, but like, that's such a good way to start a first draft is you, you just, you begin, you start somewhere. Start where you are. Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. So, you know. Practical tip, if your manuscript comes across our desk at Salt and Sage Books and it starts, it was a dark and stormy night. I woke up and looked in the mirror. I mean, that is okay. Start wherever you feel good and safe and just Mm -hmm. start rolling from there. It's okay. Yep. I've even had manuscripts um, that I've edited before where the author says like in their little introduction letter or whatever, like, I'm excited to get your help, blah, blah. This is what I need help with. And one of the things that they have requested, and I love this question, so now I ask it all the time whenever I send my stuff out, is Mm. I say something along the lines, I think I've started at the right point in the story. But if as you are reading, you come to a different conclusion or you find a different spot where you feel like it would be better to begin, please flag that for me so that I can think about it. Um, I had a critique partner once who her process was that she would write 10,000 words of, she just considered it pre-writing where, but she would mark them because her brain needed this. She would mark them as chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, however many chapters. She was writing epic fantasy. So her chapters were quite long. Or stuff like, right. Yeah, they were, yeah. they were big. They were good, but you know, they, they were long. But she knew that she didn't actually start the story. She didn't actually find the right place to begin until like chapter five. And she just knew that was part of her process. And then she would end up using those beginning four chapters. They ended up being really crucial backstory that yeah. she needed to understand the characters. Like it was her way of, instead of plotting in a really detailed manner, she just wrote. And so then she had this 10,000 character or 10,000 words of backstory that she would then end up like grabbing pieces from and being like, oh, okay, we need to go back and explain what happened here. Good thing I already have it written copy paste and that would end up in like chapter 14 or chapter 27 or whatever because they were important pieces of backstory they just weren't important to know immediately but that happened through her revision process you know what this reminds me of what i think what you're describing is the capacity to have the self-acceptance to be able to be your own rubber duck yes I okay love, you you were the one who introduced me to the idea of a rubber duck 
Do you want to explain rubber duck? Yes. So rubber duck, it's a computer science term. And it's essentially that when you have a problem that is, if you're banging your head against the wall, you have a rubber duck. And a lot of people will have like a literal rubber duck that sits on top of their monitor or on their desk somewhere. And you just talk to the duck and you explain the problem out loud to the duck. And something about explaining the problem to someone or something or some duck that suddenly it becomes like, oh, I know what needs to happen. Sometimes all you need to do is be able to verbalize it and then that can unstick your wheels a little. Right, right. And one of the things that I specialize in is developmental editing on the rubber duck level where people are, are like, so I good just... at it. You're so Thank good you. at it. You are very kind. I have loved doing this with you and with and, and the other people that we've worked with. Um, basically, you need to be somebody who is receptive and kind so that people can think out loud fully because our brains are pretty amazing if we can just let them run. I think what we end up doing is we stop them from running all the time. Yes. Yeah. So I think as I've tried to rubber duck for other people, I've noticed that I do a lot better in my own writing and my own creating. I mean, even aside from writing anything creative, like I quilt, um, if yeah, I'm you do, yeah, you do. <laughs> yes. When I make you a quilt, you, you can know that I will cut and stab for you thousands of times. <laughs> yes. So if we have the capacity to be able to just let ourselves be silly or dumb or cliche, we have the ability to create so much more to work with. And it's really just about kindness and acceptance, I yes. think. Yes. This is also why I preach the gospel of never deleting your stuff. Oh, yeah. You Like, I use Scrivener, which, ooh, we can talk about that at length if, if y'all are interested in Scrivener. But um, the th one of the things that I really, really love about Scrivener is that if I delete sections, Scrivener saves them. Like, not, not necessarily, like, if I'm going in and doing main editing, then that, it doesn't save, like, individual words or whatever. But, like, if I delete a whole scene, it will just move it to the deleted folder. And so I still have it. And I can't tell you the number of times I have gone back and pulled mm. stuff out of there and been like, wait, I know I wrote a really solid kissing scene, but I hated it for some reason. But now I need that kissing scene. Where did it go? And then I can go and I can dig through my, this is a very specific example because it very specifically happened. Um, but I can go through and I can dig through my trash and be like, ah, here it is. Okay. And then you can reuse it. So don't delete your stuff. Don't delete it. And if you use Word and you're getting to the point where you're like, oh, I hate all this. It's terrible. Save it. Duplicate it. And then talk about how much you hate it in the new duplicated version. Like, save your old words because you don't know. You just, you just don't know how important they might eventually be. I, and, and, and what I have heard when we've been, because Aaron and I are part of the same writing community that we've been a part of for years. Mm -hmm. And what I see in people, especially with people who are just starting out, they have that, uh, there's there's an unevenness, there's an asymmetry between what they recognize as good and what they're able to produce. Oh, yes, the talent gap. Produces, yes. Yeah, the talent. your talent and taste gap. Your taste is up here and your talent is down here. There's a really yeah. good quote by Ira Glass that we'll have to include in the show notes. Ooh, I'll find about it. That. Yeah, but a lot of people get really frustrated with that. And sometimes it even verges on self-loathing or goes straight through self-loathing if you're an overachiever like me like i am a recovering perfectionist sometimes y'all i get upset that i'm not recovering from perfectionism just right <laughs> so that is something that just continues to eat its tail forever yeah. anyway so it is I'm the orboros of all creatives 
<laughs> if if it's both of ours, it's our Barros. Ah. Anyway, <laughs> um. <laughs> I have the quote if you want it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's Ira Glass who all hail. Um, nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there is this gap. For the first couple years you make stuff, it's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have the special thing we want it to have. We all go through this. And if you're just starting out or if you, or you are still in this phase, you've got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you will finish one story. And remember, he's talking about like radio producing. I'm, I'm not saying out here to go write a, a 10,000 word novel in a week, although if you can, we're so impressed. Yeah. Um, put yourself on a deadline. Every week you'll finish a story. It's only going, it's only by going through a volume of work that you will close that gap and your work will be as good as your ambition. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. So basically we just got to be able to be really good at sitting with our own stinky writing y'all. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It is okay. You know what? Beginners are welcome here. Yeah. We're all beginners. And this is true. This is true for the things that we're unpacking um, as part of diversity and representation and sensitivity reading, too. There's always a gap. There's a gap in knowledge. Always. That's why we hire sensitivity readers. Always. There's it's always a, a gap. Be judged. It's just so you can have the next step in knowing where to go next. Mm -hmm. And okay, it's great to be looking for the next step that you can take, the next best way to get through. Yep. All yep. of us. Because yeah. I think otherwise the, uh, okay, we all know the stereotype of like the person who has written the same novel for like 15 years, right? Oh, yes. And they just keep writing and rewriting it and rewriting it. And there's a variety of advice out there, but most of it basically boils down to, okay, you need to put it down and write something else. And I think that it's the same idea that at a certain point you have to stop beating yourself up with the same stick. You mm -hmm. have to say... I tried that and now I'm going to try again, but on a different thing. Like if we went through my backlog, all of my trunk novels, I can tell you what I learned from writing each and every one of those. And one of the most important things and why I'm so adamant about tracking my writing and having all of my graphs and spreadsheets and everything is that I understand my process as a writer so much better. And because yes. I understand my own process, if I get to the point, like I know, for example, when I do NaNoWriMo, I get to day 14, I hate everything. I hate everyone. I hate every single character I've created. I hate my plot. I hate the love interest. I hate it all. It is the worst thing I've ever written. It should just go on the shredder. I despise it. And I know that lasts day 14, 15, 16. Sometimes it bleeds into day 17. But then by the time I get to like day 20 and I'm rereading what I've written, I can't tell where my day 14, 15, I can't tell where that was. And so for me, like it's the dual thing of knowing, okay, I hate it, yep, right on schedule. And also knowing I don't write worse when I hate my stuff. And I don't write better when I'm loving it. I just write and it's pretty even across the board. And like that amount of information to know about yourself is so, for me, has been so important. To that have that grit me. of continuing. 
that shocked me when I started writing a lot and I was tracking it and trying to hit my daily word count limit, mm -hmm. which by the way, everybody, just because we're talking about daily word counts, you don't, it does not necessarily, it doesn't have to apply to you. We don't, we are not pressuring anybody. We into, will talk at some point about all of the different ways that we approach writing. Cause we're both um, neurodiverse as all get out. Yeah. And we both parent full time. And we like, I know you homeschooled for several years and I'm in the midst of homeschooling and like life is chaotic. And we'll talk about the ways to manage your creativity around that. But yes, know from this get go, we are not saying that you need, you must be like button chair, write 10,000 words every day. That's not, that's not who we are. It's just not. Because I, I think part of the problem I know for me was I didn't feel accomplished. I didn't feel good. But finding out that the stuff that I wrote when I didn't feel great was, I couldn't, it was indistinguishable from the stuff I wrote while I was feeling like a writer. Yeah, right, where and you're like, the muse is speaking through me and my fingertips are flying. And then you read right? that compared to your day where you were like, I hate this and every word's a slog. And they're like identical. Because we judge ourselves so much, even on our emotional state while we are writing. And that is incredibly counterproductive when what we need to do is just write our way through a learning process, which requires showing up. You can do it so resentfully you can do it with indifference you can do it while growling out loud at the mm -hmm. computer you are still getting a benefit out of it yep. you don't have to make yourself do it but i the analog for me is showing up and getting an edit done you also don't have to have a perfect emotional state yes. for that to still benefit we're um, not gonna judge you we see that so much with um authors who come in for sensitivity reads too, where they're like part of their intake thing will be that they're like, like, I know that I haven't done this perfectly. I know that I've missed things. Like I've done my best, but like they, they move in. And I'm not trying to say that that's a good or bad space to be in, but that there is this sense of fear that is so inside of us that yeah. I think it's fine. Like if you're afraid and you're moving forward, like I would say that is where we want everyone in the whole world to be. You're scared and you're doing it anyway. Like that is what bravery is, is you feel afraid and you're doing it anyway because what's on the other side of it is something that you want more than you want to feel safe. Right. Un but I, I don't want to necessarily equate safe and afraid on the, on the opposite spectrum, but like, right. like you don't have to be over here like, oh, I did an incredible job and look at me go and ha ha in order to then get a sensitivity read. Like it's okay to sit here and be like, I'm terrified that I have messed this up, but I know that my next step and I know that that's important. And so I'm going to do it even though I'm scared. And we I also don't want you to be that. We're not trying to make you scared. No, not at all. Not to be scared, but it is not something that we are trying to create in you. So if you have heard things about, you know, oh man, sensitivity readers, they're gatekeepers, they're censors, they can oh. stop me from being published. All untrue, all untrue. The truth is, is that sensitivity readers tend to be writers like you, mm -hmm. creators like you. They want your work to succeed. Yep. We want your work to succeed. You know what? I think that we should do a podcast on just myths and truths about sensitivity reading. Yes, ma'am. I've got it written down. We can just redo our sensitivity reading 101 presentation. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, that if, if you want to skip the queue and not wait for that, we have it on Teachable. You can just go to courses.saltandsagebooks.com. It's there. You can, you, I'm just saying, we have talked about that. We'll, we'll come back to it on the podcast. I think that's a good one. Yes. But yeah, you, you can, you can jump the queue and time travel and just see what we've already said about it. Oh, speaking of NeuroSpicy, I, rem I remembered a point I was going to make about deleting work. Oh yeah. 
Because people, when we have not written what we want to write, I have seen this happen so many times where somebody says, I'm so mad that this whole chapter that I just invest myself in isn't working. And people delete with extreme prejudice. It's like they're punching the book. It makes me so sad. They're spanking the narrative. How dare you mess up? You don't even, if you're in the first draft, you don't even know yet which direction is messing up. You have not, we, none of us know how much treasure's in the garbage in a rough draft. Yep. Like only time will tell. Even if you have plotted meticulously, you'll probably still hit that point where you just can't, like I have a friend who in her writing, I mean, the way that she writes is like when I read her outlines, like it's a whole book already. And I'm like, wow, this is, and then she is able to just like, okay, I wrote this scene and da, 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 da. But then halfway through, she still hits this point where she's like, Aaron, it's just not working. It's just not working. <laughs> like I have it all planned, but like, it's just not working correctly. And every time we have to have this like, sit down, take a deep breath moment where I'm like, and that's okay. And like, please don't delete the 60,000 words you've already written. <laughs> please it's still, don't do that. It's still helpful. It's still helpful, but just embrace Embrace that sometimes we put a little too much into the illusion of control. Oh yeah. I mean, as as homeschooling moms, you know, we we all know, or we've been. I've been this mom with the really organized house and day, and unruly children. And sometimes, you know, the children are unruly, but they are the reason. Yeah. So um, we yep. there's you can plan ahead in an outline, but once you start putting it down on paper, sometimes. It just doesn't go all according to plan. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't, and there's no way to force it. Um, Okay, we probably need to wrap this one up. I think you and I, we could go. We will go. We'll keep talking. Um, But we, you didn't introduce yourself. Oh, let me introduce And then we'll wrap it up for this episode. (laughs) Okay, everybody. I'm Sachiko Suzuki. I am Japanese-American, but I'm white presenting. So white presenting means... I just happen to look kind of white. I'm not trying to look white, but this is what I look like. I'm mixed race, and some people can't see the Japanese. That's important because, especially if you're watching the video, I've had people go, but you don't look Japanese. Okay, yeah, this if, is what... if you say that in the comments, if you mention that she doesn't look Japanese, I will block your butt so fast. You do not get to comment on what someone else is supposed to look like. You No, absolutely not. <laughs> Zip it. Delete, 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 delete. Do not. Do not make that comment. Don't do it. Yeah. Continue. I'm sorry. I've got like some weird thank you. I love you. Ooh, thank it makes you me so angry. Like, ooh, you don't get to say what someone looks like. Ugh. You guys, this is her ferocity. In case it feels like it's coming out of left field, it is coming out of shared experiences over the last several years where she has watched or been a bystander or heard people yeah. say that to me and has seen how upsetting that is and how in, how inaccurate, you know? I, I mean, I have family pictures and I look like what a lot of mixed race people look like all over the world. It's, well, for some reason, we'll it's- We'll have to that, talk more about the mixed race experience <laughs> yes. because- Yes. I mean, I only be- know what you've told me, but, ooh, yeah, yeah. You're gonna hear but, plenty of my fury, or plenty of my rage and anger. It is, yes. it is one of my defining characteristics. Guys, one of one of my favorite things that Erin has ever said to me was when we were shopping together in Seattle and she lost me in Uwajimaya. I did. I couldn't find you anywhere. I was like, everyone has beautiful long dark hair. Where did she go? <laughs> I got lost. She lost me in Uwajimaya. I couldn't find it was you. The best I moment. couldn't find you. 
<laughs> it was wonderful. And I'm over here, like, with my very curly hair, and you're like, no, I can see you fine. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. No, I I'm not mad point. about it. <laughs> I'm tall, too, which is part of the... Anyways. It's, you're beautiful. It's funny, the spaces that we um, fit into visually. Yes. That, yeah, actually funny side story when I was in Italy I had several people like come up I was I was I was like in college we went on a on a whole thing with um the art history department it was a lot of fun anyway uh when we were in Italy I had so many people come up to me and like speaking Italian like that they assumed that I was local to there which I was like I am flattered but I do not speak even an ounce of Italian and I have no Italian ancestry like at all and you have Italian ancestry I do. And it's funny to me, like, the, the visual things that people are like, oh, you probably belong to that group. But we're wrong. <laughs> we're wrong a lot of the time. I would yeah. even say people are wrong, like, a majority of the time. Uh, yeah, especially with when when with all the mixed heritage, heritage yeah. that a lot of people have. Yeah, unless you're familiar so, with it. So can I finish introducing you? I want to yes. say just, I just want to say more nice things about you. So Sachiko... Okay has been a writer and a creative, I mean, since you were, like, five. Like, I mean, you've been making up stories your entire live-long life. Um, mm -hmm. She has a really particularly beautiful way with imagery, which I don't know if you realize that, but you do. Um, so nice. I've seen you, like, you post things, and everyone on Facebook is like, oh, my God, the most beautiful. And I'm over here like, mm -hmm, that's my girl. Um, let's see, Sachiko, you have children. I have I have a hundred children. They are wonderful. I'm so fond of your children. They love you. And yes, they are wonderful. I adore my children so much. I have really loved being a mom. They're good ones. Yeah. And let's see, you live in the in the radioactive tumbleweed side of Washington, which is far too far away from me. Yes. And I live on the pine tree ocean y side. You should move here. Um, <laughs> where there it's is not pressure. expensive it's fine um what else do we yeah. want people to know about you well, so guys we named uh it's salt and sage because aaron lives on the salt side of washington state mm -hmm. and i live on the sagebrush side yeah and it's i'm the one, one who's salty and you're the one who's smart <laughs> <laughs> well we're both pretty salty <laughs> we're very smart um, there are layers to the name too like that was one yeah. of the things as we were talking about it, I was like hey salt and then you're that's funny and then the more yeah. we looked at it the more we were like oh no that's beautiful on like a number of levels because yeah, it's just felt like salt and sage are both um cleansing things mm -hmm. and they're both really incredible at enhancing the flavor that's already there and yes. they can both be really really subtle but if you are missing salt in a dish it just doesn't taste right so yeah. like that's our whole that's our whole thing is we're very like sprinkle sprinkle with the magic that we don't have any desire to like stand on top of you. We but want, you know, yeah, we you know want what to like enhance what we've already made. I mean, we're not talking about saffron as a seasoning. Like salt and sage, these are incredibly everyday items mm -hmm. that's just accessible to everybody. Like anybody can grab this. Yep. Anybody can benefit from this. Yep. And I really love that. That it's just and a, a little really... pinch can go a really long way. Great. It's yep. great. Okay. So I am Japanese American. My dad emigrated from Japan when he was a kid. Um, being Japanese American has shaped me a lot. I've always been involved in all of my local communities, where all the places that I've lived in the US and in Japan. I lived in Japan for a while when I was a little kid. And um, 
the where I live now in Washington State used to have a lot of Japanese American families, but it doesn't anymore, which means my kids and, and me and my parents, I live near my parents, we are the Japanese American community where I live. Yeah. So most people, if they have ever encountered anything about Japan, have encountered it through books or movies or games. So representation is huge because it has directly affected how my children are treated at school and by yeah. regular people at in medical settings, professional settings, everyday life, just shopping. We are constantly getting comments and we are constantly getting feedback. And the better the representation has gotten, the better their treatment has been. So this really, like it's a real everyday thing to have good representation. Yeah. This matters to real people all the time. Yep, yep. It's not just a thing that you do to feel like you've ticked off so, or like check I tick like a check mark like that, you, that you've checked off some sort of like social media or not social media social justice requirement within yourself like right. it has real live impacts on real live people yeah yeah I think we divorce, we divorce those two things at our peril honestly to yeah. think that what we write doesn't impact real people it does yeah and that's the whole point the whole and and we want it to impact real people don't we don't we want our stories to connect with people where they go, oh my gosh, I feel it so strongly. I can't wait to share it with other people. Yes. We, as a storyteller, I love that. That makes me feel like I created something beautiful. Yeah, like that's the whole point. That's the whole meaning making journey. For me anyway, that's that's what it is. It's making meaning. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. This has been Rough Drafts Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Got any questions? We would love to hear them. Got a complaint? We'll hear it too. Yep. Leave us a five-star review. Pretty please. And thank you. And if you want to book with Salt and Sage Books or learn anything else about what we do, or if you want to work with us or take our courses or blah, 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 you can find us at www.saltandsagebooks.com. And we're all over social media too. We sure are. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.